Welcome to the podcast, Estate Planning with Paul Rabelais, where we'll discuss the latest and simplest legal strategies and tactics available for you to protect your estate for yourself and your family, all in easy-to-understand terms. It's all about protecting your estate now, so you and your loved ones can reap the benefits later. And now your host, estate planning attorney, Paul Rabelais. everybody. So in this podcast, I'm going to address um, what estate planning looks like for ExxonMobil retirees. So I'm Paul Rabelais. I'm an estate planning attorney coming to you from our home office in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where ExxonMobil has a very large refinery and they employ many thousands of people. I don't know exactly, but it's a really big employer for the area here. It does a lot of good for the Baton Rouge and surrounding communities and has for many, many years. So I've been fortunate to work with hundreds of ExxonMobil retirees and setting up you know, their estate planning legal program. In fact, I've been an Exxon stockholder since I was eight years old when my grandmother passed away and left you know, her 13 grandchildren some shares of Exxon stock, which ultimately turned into shares of ExxonMobil stock. So I've been following Exxon uh, as a shareholder for a long time. It's been a big part of my life, enabled me to, you know, do things for for my kids that, uh, as far from an education standpoint, that would have been really difficult to do had I had I not, you know, been an Exxon Mobil shareholder. So, but you know, the uh, and re- look, I realize not everybody has exactly the same circumstances, but there are some tendencies among Exxon Mobil retirees that we see across the board. But again, I'll say it for the second time, and I'll probably say it again throughout the podcast. You know, everybody's different. Um, everybody has different family circumstances. Some people are single, married. Um, the retiree might be male or female. Um, might be of different ages, um, may have different objectives in mind, but I'm going to share with you kind of the typical Exxon retiree, some of the common themes that we see, and you should be able to relate to it. So, you know, the typical Exxon mobile retiree, likely to be in their in their 60s, uh, doesn't have to be, maybe in their 50s, um, maybe younger or older, but most of them that we see when it's, you know, when they're when they're ready to hang it up. You know, they're in their 60s. They probably worked at ExxonMobil or Exxon. I'm just going to call it ExxonMobil from here on out. And I realize there was a merger and uh, Exxon turned into ExxonMobil. I'm just going to call it ExxonMobil. But they probably worked at ExxonMobil for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, Without question, their largest financial asset is their retirement account. And it may be may still be in the form of their ExxonMobil savings plan, which is comparable to a 401k plan. Or maybe they've retired and rolled over their ExxonMobil savings plan into an IRA, an individual retirement account. Maybe, but not likely, they have some NUA stock, net unrealized appreciation stock held in a brokerage account. Really, that's a topic for another podcast, but uh, some choose to take advantage of that rule and um, hold some NUA stock in a separate brokerage account. Now, they're going to have other assets as well. They may have, uh, if they have their IRA or their savings plan, they may have a separate uh, joint or individual brokerage account 
where they do some investing outside of their retirement account, they're going to have a home, they're going to have vehicles, they're going to have bank accounts, and maybe they'll have some other real estate besides their home. Maybe they have a camp, maybe they own a rental prop, some rental property, maybe they co-own some property with other family members that was inherited when the parents passed away. Or maybe they have, uh, you know, no other real estate. Um, maybe they have a few toys. Not that they're retired, they want to go out and enjoy life. You know, they may, maybe they have a RV or a camper, maybe a boat or two, or maybe they, or maybe even they have a Harley. Who knows? But maybe they have uh, no toys, but they have a long honeydew list that's gonna take them through probably the first, you know, year or two of their retirement. So that's kind of the makeup of what they typically own. Now, their objectives can vary from retiree to retiree. But, you know, a common theme is that we see that, you know, they want to they wanna keep their estate and keep things relatively simple. Um, they've been working their butts off. They've been busy. They've been dealing with engineering issues. And they just want to, you know, keep things simple, provide for their family the right way. They want to be fair to everybody that's involved. They want to avoid tax. You know, they've paid income tax their whole life and they're kind of tired of paying income tax and they want to avoid any other, you know, tax uh, consequences out there or at least minimize them. They just want to put a solid legal program in place, keeping the government out of their estate and just being smart, not making any stupid mistakes, not making the mistake of not having a plan. So they want to have things in order. We'll go through what some of those particulars are in a moment. Some people have some other um, circumstances. Uh, some Exxon retirees have a uh, second or third spouse, and perhaps that second spouse or that third spouse has children of their own, so that causes there to be some uh, particular estate planning issues that we need to address. Some Exxon retirees have children who just can't handle money, and so they're worried about dumping a big chunk of money in a, in a child's lap who can't handle it. Occasionally, we see Exxon retirees who have uh, children with special needs and uh, want to make sure those you know, government benefits stay protected. So there could be other unique family circumstances that are involved, but uh, those are some of the basics as far as the kind of asset values. Again, like I said, the largest financial asset is is almost always their retirement account and um, oftentimes uh, uh, upper six figures, um, not uncommon for those retirement accounts to be seven figures, not uncommon for some Exxon retirees to have, you know, kind of mid seven figure estate um, or more for the, for the top executives. And um, so uh, it doesn't really matter what the, what the, value number is it's make what is important is making sure that whatever you have gets handled the right way and um, you know doesn't get caught up in uh, government issues or family disputes or court issues so next we'll move right into the kind of the plan design feature where we talk with people once we determine their objectives starting to discuss the design of how they want things to be handled. 
really any plan design has to address how the retirement account uh, will be handled. And in many cases, that's really simple unless it's not simple. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, the Exxon retiree who maybe a traditional family perhaps has the same spouse that they've had for 30 or 40 years. Um, maybe they and their spouse had a couple of children. Now that the retiree is in his 60s, his, their kids are grown, so the kids are perhaps in their 30s, maybe even 40s. And children now perhaps have shown uh, maturity and responsibility, so there's no issues with the retiree and his or her spouse leaving things uh, what I'll call outright to the children. So in many cases with a retirement account, you have to deal with beneficiary designations. Uh, that's a, what we call a non-probate asset. Um, many traditional families, sometimes even untraditional families, whatever that means, will name their spouse as their primary beneficiary on their retirement account and name their children uh, as their contingent beneficiaries to, to get it equally. And um, that typically works pretty well for most Exxon retirees. Um, it works well from a uh, required distribution rules, minimum required distribution rules, not only for the Exxon retiree, but for the retiree's spouse, because there's a particular set of required distribution rules when you leave a retirement account to your spouse and the rules are different when the retirement account uh, goes to a non-spouse beneficiary. But um, without you know getting into that too much, um, we often see it works out well both from a tax and from a control standpoint. Many re retirees and their spouses say if one of us dies, we want the survivor of us to continue to be able to have complete control over that retirement account. In, in other situations, it, it may be different. Um, sometimes, you know, particularly if retiree and spouse um, have, have children that, that are not children of the marriage of the retiree and their spouse. So sometimes you might see a retiree say, I want... Um, I have two children from my first marriage. I want my spouse to get 60% of my IRA, and I want my two children to each get 20% of my IRA. So that may be the case. Sometimes we name trusts as beneficiaries of IRA. Uh, that starts to get tricky with the required distribution rules, but tax rules don't necessarily drive everything. So sometimes a retiree may say, well, when I pass away, I'm going to name a trust as the beneficiary of my IRA. It's going to be a trust for my spouse. But when my spouse later dies, I want to make sure that the remaining assets out of my IRA automatically revert back to my children. And by naming a trust as a beneficiary, my spouse, my surviving spouse won't have the right to redesignate beneficiaries. So that's when, you know, like I said, some t it's, and um, so, and then there's other issues of when the kids can't handle the money. Again, IRA, retirement account, largest financial asset, let's say it's a million bucks, 
It's going to go eventually to two children. It may even grow before it gets to the two children. So some parents, retirees, don't like the fact that um, they're going to dump a half a million dollars on a child's lap. So then we have to start addressing trusts for other reasons, naming trusts as beneficiaries of IRAs. It's to um, make sure that uh, it perhaps gets doled out over time. Maybe the parent wants to ensure, the retiree wants to ensure that uh, the only the required distributions will be um, distributed from the IRA after the retiree and their spouse passes away. So um, anyway, there's those issues that have to be addressed. Again, retirement accounts, simple and less not simple. Then, other than the retirement account, of course, there's other assets that will help, have to be dealt with, all those other what we call probate assets, whether that's uh, the home, other real estate, brokerage accounts, um, other things titled in a retiree's name. There's usually a conversation about whether um, these assets will be dispersed via a, what I'll call a will program or a trust program. And then there'll usually be a discussion about, well, you can leave things to your spouse and kids through your will. Um, and if you do that, that's fine. And when the retiree passes away, his assets in his name, other than his retirement account, will be frozen and his surviving spouse and kids will come into my law office or some law office and will initiate a court-supervised succession or probate proceeding, whatever you want to call it, where the courts oversee the management and distribution of assets that are in your name when you die. A lot of people perceive that as uh, being difficult and expensive and a hassle because it is a hassle. And so... And then what happens after the retiree passes away, the family goes through the court process and things wind up, of course, in the name of the surviving spouse. And then when the surviving spouse dies, another court process um, to uh, manage and administer and distribute where the, where the courts oversee the distribution to the ultimate heirs. And so a lot of families want to avoid all that bureaucratic red tape and government intervention and lawyer involvement. So what we'll do for those is we'll set up what's called their revocable living trust, and they'll retitle their non-probate assets, their home, their real estate, their brokerage account into their revocable living trust. And in some form, when the retiree dies, for example, um, things will just stay in trust, often with the surviving spouse as the trustee and in complete control of everything. And then when the surviving spouse passes away, perhaps um, one or more of the adult children are named as the successor trustee or successor co-trustees to disperse the assets out of the trust to the trust principal beneficiaries. So there's some issues with that. Um, and there's some decisions to be made on how you do want to leave things to your spouse. Do, do you want your spouse to be able to change the ultimate disposition of everything after you pass away? Or do you want to lock in certain decisions um, so that the surviving spouse uh, doesn't necessarily have that ability to divert assets to others when the surviving spouse passes away? So we have some of those what happens when one spouse dies, decisions. And then we have the decisions about when both spouses, after both spouses are gone. Is it done in equal proportions, which it usually is to the children? 
but uh, some grandchildren go, hmm, maybe I'll want to do this when we bring up the, do you want to leave things to the grandchildren or do you want to just leave it all to the kids and let them deal with how they'll leave things to the grandchildren. Everybody's different. Some people say, let's just leave it to the kids. They can do whatever they want or need for their kids. Other people say, hmm, you know, my son's wife is very controlling, and if I leave it to my son, she's going to spend it. My grandkids won't wind up with anything. Let's leave something to the grandkids, but the bulk of it to the kids. So those are personal decisions that we walk people through. Now, then, you know, um, other part of the plan design involves what if um, the retiree and or his spouse are alive but become incapacitated? We want to make sure we uh, eliminate the possibility that what is commonly referred to as a guardianship proceeding, what in Louisiana we call an interdiction proceeding, we want to make sure that's avoided so there'll be lots of um, if I'm incapacitated documentation that we do, things in your trust, things in your powers of attorney, things for who's going to handle your financial decisions, your medical decisions. Uh, you may designate your spouse first. You may designate certain children as the backup. So we've got to talk through all of that. We'll talk through the life support machines decision and the elections that are involved in that. So that's all part of the plan design for the Exxon retiree uh, and their spouse if they're married. I'm kind of making the assumption in this podcast that the retiree is married, <clears throat> but obviously if, if the retiree is single, then some of the, all of those, you know, spouse issues go away. Unless, of course, you have a single Exxon retiree who is about to get married. So then those issues come back. Um, oftentimes, um, this is often unique to Exxon retirees, is <clears throat> how we address the question that we get from the Exxon retiree, I don't want to lose all my money if I get sick and I need long-term care services. So I, we almost instantly have to eliminate one of the planning options, which is to get stuff out of your name later in life. Um, for some people, we can easily get virtually everything they own out of their name, often into certain types of trusts, so that if they get sick, they need long-term care, uh, they will qualify for Medicaid, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but for most Exxon retirees, that's not an option because, as we said, your largest financial asset is your retirement account, and, and it's not easy to get that out of your name. In fact, it's impossible to get it out of your name while you're alive. Uh, the only way to remove those assets from your name is to take a total distribution uh, from the retirement account, pay all those income taxes at ordinary income tax rates. Uh, which would likely result in hundreds of thousands, if not more, of income tax dollars immediately at the highest income tax rate, and then get the after-tax proceeds out of your name. That's not a very viable option for most, and I don't blame them when they think that way. So since the get-it-out-of-your-name option is not an option for the Exxon retiree, then they have to expect to be a private pay patient or recipient if they need long-term care. You know, Medicare is not going to cover the long-term care expenses. 
So uh, they either have to self-insure against that expense or have insurance to cover that expense. You know, some people feel like, well, you know, my, my mama, we just took care of her and my family seems to just die without needing long-term care. So they, they, it's not, um, they don't lose any sleep at night worrying about if they have a prolonged long-term care illness. Also, the, the insurance route is tough, and there's a lot of different kinds of insurance. In fact, I did a three-part video series that you may want to watch on YouTube on my channel, Rabelais Estate Planning. Also did podcasts on it about who's going to pay your long-term care expenses. And, and with insurance, there's lots of different types. There's traditional. There's asset-based. The difficulty with Exxon retirees is typically their big money is in their retirement account. And so they don't want to have to tap the retirement account to cover the long-term care insurance expense, whether it's traditional or asset-based. And so it's a tough one, but uh, something that's a conversation that needs to needs to take place and it's information that you need to get so you can make an informed decision. The earlier you get that information and make the decision, the better, because the older you get, the more limited your options become. Now, included in our you know estate planning program plan design for Exxon retirees, you know no um, no plan is complete without a discussion about taxes, and there's lots of different kinds of taxes. We typically focus on three: the estate tax, the income tax, and the capital gains tax. So, in in today's political environment, um, the estate tax for most ExxonMobil retirees is not an issue because in today's political environment and tax structure, um, single individuals can exempt the first $11.2 million of assets that they have from the 40% tax. Married couples, $22.4 million, so it's not an issue for most. Income tax, there's a big income tax consequence, and it has to do, uh, you know, generally an inheritance is free of income tax. If someone inherits your home or they inherit money that you have in your checking account or savings account, uh, they're not going to pay any income tax on that. However, again, with an ExxonMobil retiree, their largest financial asset is their retirement account. And whoever gets that money, whether it's you get that money as distributions, your spouse, if you're married and you leave it to your spouse and then your spouse takes distributions, or if it ultimately goes to your children and your children take distributions either immediately or over their life expectancy with the um, decisions that they have to make, whenever those distributions are made, whoever receives that distribution is going to have to pay income tax on that distribution. And there's no getting around it unless you leave it to charity because charities don't pay income tax. But most people want to kind of max out what goes to their family. So, you know, a lot of when we get involved in the income tax discussion, it's often um, pertaining to how will children take distributions and what can I require them to do to avoid making a big mistake? So that's part of the discussion. And then there's some capital gains tax consequences. Really important now, um, and many of you won't understand this, but there's, you know, there's the double step up in basis. If you're a married couple, structuring things to get a step up in basis twice to avoid um, capital gains tax on the sale of an appreciated asset and so traditional estate planning doesn't accomplish that because it used to be the big, um, 
the 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 big threat was estate tax. It's not a threat anymore. So now um, we have more capital gains tax avoidance options. So and then if there's NUA stock, that's always an issue as well with the capital gains tax. So all that is part of the plan design. Then there's just some miscellaneous decision, decisions that are often made. It's, you know, how do we handle our personal effects? We've got a plan for that. Do we put somebody on our bank account? I know that's just what everybody happens to do um, around town. You know, uh, mama put me on her bank account. I'm 65 years old and mama put me on her bank account. And when she died, I went to the bank and got the money and closed the account and divided the money up. So I'm going to do the same thing. So that's usually an issue that comes up. And then once all of that plan gets designed, then we really get to work uh, customizing all of the necessary legal instruments with the necessary customized provisions to accomplish everything that was part of the plan design. So we get that prepared. We review things with you to make sure it's perfect. We get you back in the office to get everything signed. Um, then there's a process of titling and f or, or funding um, retitling assets into a trust, um, making sure the beneficiary designations are structured the right way, and then assembling the portfolio of legal instruments with all of the plan documents so that everything is, is either at your fingertips or at the fingertips of the people who are going to have to handle this one day in your absence, whether you've passed away or whether you're incapable. So that in a very broad nutshell is an overview of, of estate planning for ExxonMobil retirees. I guess we could say it's, it's also a blueprint for um, estate planning for people who, um, you know, worked for any of the plants or any of the big companies and for many, many years and accumulated most of their net worth in their retirement account. But with so many ExxonMobil retirees around here, I wanted to focus on that. Okay, so there you have it. If you want to find out more or perhaps even, you know, have a discussion with me, if you live in Louisiana and you want to, you know, kind of figure out the easiest way to get all this set up, you can contact our office. We have a toll-free number, 866-491-3884. Um, or you can go to our uh, website, RabelaisEstatePlanning.com and uh, see our different kind of locations and phone numbers and, um, and watch other videos and get a lot more information. Uh, and so get yourself prepared to have a productive kind of, you know, conversation with someone like myself. So hope that helps. Um, take care of this thing because if it doesn't, it'll take care of you and your family. Have a great day. We'll see you.